nothing that happens to us defines us long term unless you allow it to. I was defining myself as fat, as worthless. Good enough was one of my bigger triggers for myself. Like I just never felt good enough. Nothing that I did, even if to everybody else it was great, to me personally, it was never good enough. Welcome to Hope to Recharge podcast. Thank you for joining me here again today. Every week we meet here to break the stigma around mental health and to bring you insight and inspiration and lots of practical tips from personal stories or professionals around the world that share how they turn their journey of mental health into healing or to thriving. Together we will break the stigma one story at a time. And mental health together is always better. Thank you for joining me here today. I'm your host, Matana. Let's get started. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com, the leading online platform for therapy. You can access thousands of therapists one click away. Go check out BetterHelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. Get 10% off your first month. Start your wellness now. Do you sometimes feel stuck? Do you wish you can be somewhere else? Do you have a vision of where you want to get to, but you just don't know what the first step to take in order to get to that life that you're dreaming of? Many people ask me, what did I do in order to create this wellness that I'm living in? How did I shift from deep depression, from extreme anxiety to a thriving life, to a productive life, to a life full of joy? I put many things into practice and it's every single day. Many of you know that it's gratitude, a healthy mindset, boundaries, self-love, and one of the most important things that many people don't speak about, forgiveness. Self-forgiveness and forgiveness to others. Essential for healing. I put together a package for those that want to increase their wellness in their life and implement these techniques custom-made for their lives. If you want to work one-on-one with me on these topics in order to move forward towards that dream life that you have a vision of, click the link below in the show notes. It's called Gift of light. It was on sale in the month of December. We're extending it for a little bit of January. So grab it now before it increases in price. It's a custom made program for you. One-on-one with me, eight sessions. We will develop a concrete program that you can implement in your life so you can create a better well-being. Click the link below. Looking forward to working with you. Hello, everybody. Second week of 2021 and going well so far. In January, we are continuing our conversation, deep diving into mental health by youth, teenagers, adolescents. How can we improve the conversation? How can we break the stigma? How can we give them more tools to speak about their struggles and be okay with their struggles and take charge of what they are going through in order to walk towards wellness before it's too late. Today, we are speaking with Laura Messner. She became a good friend of mine. Her energy is explosive. She talks about her youth challenges with mental illness, her story with her parents' divorce and her relationship with her dad, how she went through anorexia and deep depression and what made the switch and that big moment of getting health and where she is now, thriving, literally thriving. And her whole mission in life is to create more awareness for mental health, to increase conversations around anorexia, to increase conversations around mental health, to bring more optimism and joy to the world to focus on what you really are, who you really are, what you need, boundaries. This is all in this conversation. It is a phenomenal episode. You might want to take some notes down. If when you're done this episode, you feel like someone you know can benefit from this episode, please share it with them. Don't hesitate. It's one click away to help somebody enjoy this episode. I'm 30 years old. I currently live in central Maine. Beautiful. Just bought a 30 acre home, 30 acre land with a nice cute home in it. And I'm probably the happiest I've ever been in my life right now. I'm feeling the most successful and fulfilled. And it was quite the journey. So to to think that I am in this 
space right now where I'm happy and fulfilled. I never thought that'd be possible. And so to start there to show where you can be. Back though, when I was younger, I, I had a typical upbringing, a nice house, mom, dad, brother. My brother does have autism. So uh, I know you were mentioning Richard Jr., who is my brother. He's 32 and he has autism now, and he's just the most precious thing on earth. But growing up with a brother with autism, which of course for many siblings is hard because you're at that, you're young and you don't understand really what autism is. And you just see that they're different and you're not sure how to process that at a young age. But regardless, grew up in, again, a nice neighborhood even. And then as time went on, my parents got divorced around eight. That was great for me because <laughs> at the time, my dad wouldn't let me do things like get up on the counter to get a bowl or, or a plate. So for me, I'm going to be living with mom. I get to jump up on the counter and grab a bowl. So again, I didn't understand it. But after a couple of years after that, I started realizing just how little time my, my father was spending with us in the family. At a young age, at eight, 10, I wasn't thinking, oh, my dad really isn't around a lot. So that kind of subconsciously sunk into my mind as I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I'm not a good daughter. He does. He's not proud of me. How can I fix this? Because here I am, I'm a natural born perfectionist. So I wanted to find a way, find a reason for him to be proud of me. So I tried everything. So at a young age, I thought maybe it was like, let's help him around the house. As I got more into school, it was, let's get straight A's in school, which I was an excellent student. Then I thought maybe I, want, I should get into sports. So I became most valuable player in most sports that I played. And then I got into theater. I became like lead roles in theater. I love theater. Just everything that I could think of and nothing was working. So I thought maybe it was my image, my body. So I started starving myself and I became anorexic at the age of 11, 11, 12. So young? Oh yeah. So for three years, you're trying to be the perfect child, like to get the awards in everything, in school and in, in, in activities and in sports and in, in acting. And it wasn't getting any extra attention, nothing. And that, that stretched on into my middle school years and high school years as well. Just the constant, let me try this, let me try this. And like I said, the high musicals, sports. So it was at a young age too, but it's still in my head. I'm like, what can I do differently? So then it became just restriction, not eating at all. If I did eat, it was very little. And then I'd go and do sports and, of course, burning off the little that I had to begin with. It's very scary thin. Did you know at the time that was like a disease, anorexia? Did you know that's a condition? Did you know that what you were doing or you were just starving yourself for attention? It wasn't for me. It wasn't an attention thing more so than it was a control thing because I couldn't control my dad being proud of me or wanting to be around me. And so it was subconsciously my sense of control. I wasn't doing it as a way to, if anything, I didn't want attention at all because I wanted my way, which was not eating, which again, most people, if they see somebody not eating all day, they're going to bother you about it. And for me, I'm going to try to be as invisible as possible. But it wasn't until my stepdad came along and he, ex-military leader, so he saw that I was the person in control of the household and he decided to put his foot down, which honestly was... The, the worst thing at the time, but the biggest blessing down the road because he forced me to eat even when I was bawling at the dinner table, didn't want to get up. Which, which my mom is just such a sweetheart and a loving human being. And she'd be like, okay, go to bed, do whatever you got to do. But when he put his foot down and I was not getting my way, that was a whole new world for me. So over, over the years of that, I overcame anorexia simply because of his forcefulness in putting his foot down. Mind you, it may have cured the, the body side where I was finally looking normal again, but it didn't support the mental side, which is the most important part. And so over the years, in my mid-teens, I was doing so much better. I had friends. I was eating normal. And then come like 16, 17, I started falling into the depression trap, which I started lightly cutting. I had a, a boyfriend at the time, the true love thing, which of course it was just lust. But 
in my head, it was just devastating when we broke up. And because of that, the, everything that I stabilized from before working up to that just collapsed completely because now my, and it was all subconscious because it was the trigger that my dad wasn't there. And now this guy who I thought would be my husband and white, white picket fence and little dog is now no longer in the picture. I didn't understand that at all. Honestly, I just thought I was crazy. I thought I was psycho and just bound for depression and sadness the rest of my life because there were weeks even where I would cry for a whole week straight and my mom would even bring me to the ER because she's like I don't know what to do I have no idea what's wrong with this girl and honestly after looking at it I think it was just that slow buildup of all the years of me trying to be this perfect person for someone that meant or was is supposed to mean a lot to to little girls when that was not coming to fruition the way I thought it would, it, my purpose went down the hole and I didn't want to live anymore. It's just when you try so hard for so long, what point is it after that if it's still not where you imagined it to be? And of course, that was my thought process back then. And, it, and I didn't understand that in its full picture until I went to therapy years later and actually talked it through and realized that it was my dad was the big tr You didn't know that? The whole time you didn't know that? Did not know that. Your mother never took you to therapy before that? You're cutting, you're depressed, you're crying, you're anorexic, no therapy? We did try to do therapy, but I'm a stubborn I was a stubborn child, <laughs> like a very stubborn child, and I just thought I was perfectly fine cuz again the perfectionist coming out. Didn't want to admit that I was not okay to the outside world. So it was just putting my mom under all this pressure all the time and all she wanted was for me to get better but my stubbornness wasn't allowing that so we did go to therapy quite a bit but I wasn't open to it so it was more so me just pouting and being annoyed in the corner saying this is stupid rebelling and not opening up and just saying okay you want me to go I'll go but I'm not saying a word I'm not gonna I'm not gonna interact I'm not gonna give because I don't want to get right before I turned 18 that was when the first time I, I had a a suicide attempt happen in which it I never understood the whole suicide thoughts and the suicide actions. I thought it was so selfish. Every time kids at my school would cut, I would just look at them thinking, you are so selfish when I was in middle school because I didn't understand. I didn't understand what darkness they were in. And because of that, I couldn't relate. But then it's funny how God just works in your life. And he's, oh, yeah, you want to see what it's like? You want to relate to that? Here you go. And I'll tell you, those were the hardest years of my life. I literally was in such a dark place. The pain that internally, and again, I didn't know where the pain was coming from because I never investigated it. I never went to that therapy session where actually I was able to open up and express what was going on for me. So I was just fighting my own demons inside trying to figure it out, but I was too exhausted and tired at the end of the day to try to really look at it from a different perspective. So I was hospitalized then after that night. At 18, that was at 18. Right before 18, so 17. And um, hospitalized. And then of course, after that, that next year was the hardest year. I was hospitalized again for another suicide thoughts and um, attempts. And then of course, one other time after that for an eating disorder. Because at that age, when I was 18, it went from when I was early teens, restricting, not eating at all, to finding comfort in binge eating. So it went to the total opposite perspective. And I just started binge eating three days worth of food in one sitting and then overly exercising for an hour. And it was pretty rough. But of course, after years of therapy, you're able to find out where it is that is coming from. And from that, you're able to work towards a better life for yourself or work towards those things that you needed to. So after years of therapy, did your father acknowledge you at all? Is your father still alive? Yes. Yeah. So you're an, you're an adult now, like it's 12, 12 years later, right? Yep. And you went through a lot of therapy. You're a different human. You're li literally a different human. You're a reconstructed person. Can you look back at your father and understand what went on there? And can you say to your little self, it wasn't his fault or it's not me or something to comfort that loss of time, that loss of childhood time? 
that you wish you had with your father that you didn't have? Over a lot of therapy sessions, I, what I realized was I was too often playing the victim to everything. Everything was somebody else's fault and never my fault. I would always point fingers at anybody I could besides myself. So for the longest time in my early 20s, it would always be pointing back at my dad. If you only were here for me more often, but honestly, that is far from the truth. I actually think I'm a stronger, better person because he wasn't around. And as far as talking to my true self inside the little girl inside of me, and especially looking back at it now, one, I can't blame him for anything that ever happened to me. So my thoughts, I, thinking I was useless or that I wasn't good enough, that was all my own doing. Many times we'll point fingers and say, I wouldn't feel so down about myself if it wasn't for his lack of attention. But again, I'm the only person that can control my thoughts. Nobody can control my thoughts for me. So my dad can't control the way I think. So it took me a long time to understand that I am causing this pain on myself. I'm the only person that can make me better. His love and attention back to me is not going to make me better. It has to do with my mental state, my mindset, how I feel about myself, which of course at the time I felt very little about myself. My self-worth was way down. Yeah, but it was way down because all you wanted is his love and attention. If he gave it to you, you would feel phenomenal probably. You're saying no, you're shaking no. Do you not think so? Like how does a child so young, first of all, mindset comes way into life. Like it's really hard to be 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, even 18, it, it takes a giant at that stage, a giant to know that true happiness comes within. It, it, it takes years and years, sometimes decades to figure it out. So how does a child, like you're looking back now because you did so much work, you were, you wanted to let go, you didn't want to be a victim. All these things are really nice, but as a child, we don't have the tools and it's our, our mentors and our leaders and our parents' responsibility to teach us that. So how are we supposed to know that if we don't have a role model? And not only that, we feel abandonment. What do you tell that little girl inside yourself that said, hey, I would love to have felt amazing and that I'm my true love and self-love and care and know that everything starts and ends with me, but no one taught me that. So how the heck am I supposed to get there? That's why it, it's all about a personal journey within yourself. And yeah, like for little kids, it's understandable. But especially now, there are a lot of kids out there with dads that aren't around, dads that leave, that have they've never been in their life. Many kids don't even, have never even met their own dad. My dad was around for the first part of my life. That is a blessing to me all in itself. Because there are some kids that are dealing with much deeper mental struggles in regards to that than I am. But there are also many others who have had that kind of upbringing that have grown to become such an important role model to the world and really harnessing that piece of them. So for instance, I know, what's his name? Tony Robbins didn't have a very good upbringing. Dad wasn't around. And yet look at how many people that he's helped along the way. Now, mind you, yeah, it's still a struggle throughout those teen years. But I think teaching children the, the power of self-love is probably one of the biggest gifts. That, and, and of course, finding good role models in that sense. But that's why teachers are so important. That's why I guess teachers would be the biggest one. Or any mentor in life, an aunt, an uncle, a, a friend, it could be anyone. And having that is the most important, even if everything else is crazy. But having them express that you as the child have the power to become whoever you want to be, to think however you want to be, nothing that happens to us defines us long term, unless you allow it to. I was defining myself as fat, as worthless. Good enough was one of my bigger triggers for myself. Like I just never felt good enough. Nothing that I did, even if to everybody else it was great, to me personally, it was never good enough. So it was a constant battle just within myself. And that's because I never had the tools or the understanding of the most important thing, which is self-love. It's so funny. That's, the that's our month this month in Hope to Recharge. Every month we have a theme and June is the theme of self-love because I believe that without self-love, no one can heal. No one can heal. You can go to all the therapists and everything. It's the foundation to healing. And I hope any teens that are listening to this right now can connect with this because 
When I was going through one of my three hospitalizations, I remember the person in charge was talking to us. We had a meeting and they were expressing how the key to your recovery is through self-love. And here I am, I'm, I'm literally in the back rolling my eyes because I'm thinking, look, I didn't kill myself. I'm still here. Obviously, if I didn't kill myself, I love myself enough, but I still feel like crap. I'm not understanding this. Self-love, of course I love myself, here I am, but I still feel like crap. But I've never experienced what self-love felt like because I was always beating myself down year after year. And when I finally got that spark, that aha moment of I love myself, and that was years later, and that's why consistency and constantly, even if you don't believe that what you're doing is helping, so like therapy, group work, just online watching YouTube videos on how to overcome your depression, that consistency over time is, is changing your mindset. It's reprogramming your mind and your belief system about who you are. Because for years I thought I was bad. And until I started reprogramming, telling myself I'm beautiful, watching these things, going to groups, was I then able to see myself differently? Even if, like I said, from the beginning, this is not my cup of tea. I'm not a person that wants to sit in a group and confess all the things that I feel is wrong with me. I'll tell you, just by doing that little by little, it grew into something more powerful, like rewarding than I could have ever imagined. Again, I, I didn't think I'd make it to the age of 30. Never, never in my early teens, late teens, early 20s did I think I'd make it to 30. So this alone is the biggest blessing. And it, all it was consistency, even when my faith in where I was going wasn't that strong. Can you look back and to that little girl, really go to that little girl, that 12-year-old, the 13-year-old, the 14-year-old that's yearning for the father's attention and say, it's okay that you didn't have that. Can you really, like without feeling that pinch yes. in your heart? And it took a long time. Look, it took a long time. But it's also what I like to do. If there's anybody that I am upset with that I feel is against me, let's say they find ways to try to hurt me mentally, physically, emotionally, instead of becoming that victim now, what I do is I look at them, whether it's mentally or in front of them, and I take off that mask that they're wearing. That, that person that is hurtful, that is expressing hurtful things to me, whatever it is, I take off that, that evil mask that they're wearing and I see the child in them. And I look at what, or even if it's just imagining what they could have gone through what they may have to become that type of person because they're just covering up some of their own pains inside of themselves. And that's really all it is. Anybody that is angry, mean, seemingly quote unquote bad person, it's because they're holding back a lot of things that hurt them back in the day. And that's the only way that they know how to cope with it. Right. That bullies, they say a lot of times, bullies, the only way feeling good about themselves is by putting somebody else down. And I talk to my kids a lot about this, that when someone's bullying you, it's because they feel terrible about themselves. And look how lucky you are that you feel so good about yourself that you don't have to do it to others. And that's, there's little, it's still hard in the moment to be bullied, even as an adult, it's really hard, but it gives perspective that they're not this big monster evil thing. They're just this little broken thing. And as long as you have that, that understanding and you truly have that understanding, because I've been bullied especially in my early 20s a lot with um, my career choices that I chose. I was a model and all that and singer and my people poke fun at me all the time. But I was able to, through my therapy and all that, understand that it's not about me. Whatever's going on for them is not about me. The more I actually fed into their negativity and the way that they were trying to make me feel, the more that they were winning and the more it fueled them to keep doing it. And not only to do it to me, but to do it to others because they found a way to control other people. So when I started learning that and I started putting my foot down and just, and not even putting my foot down, but really meeting them in a calm, collected way and just expressing what's going on for you right now. Catch them off guard. What they're trying to do is to make you react to whatever it is they're putting on you. And if you, in turn, don't react to them that way, calm and collected and just be like, 
So what's going on for you right now? You don't know how to handle it. You just own who you are. You know that it's not about yourself. And with that, you have this peacefulness that you express that just throws them off completely. Yes. My husband always tells my kids, there was a, I'm very against busing, school busing, because I feel like whatever they're taught in these private schools that we sent to, and we pay a fortune to send to these good schools, is, gets destroyed in 30 to 20 or 10 minutes home, bus ride home. Like it's unbelievable how a few minutes in a, in a bus can get, it can destroy a child because there's no proper adult um, monitoring what's going on and the bullying is awful. So my husband always, so for a very short amount of time, I put them on the bus and then I said, forget it. I, I'm doing the driving them back and forth because it's just not worth it. It's not to rebuild them after their destruction is going to be impossible. And, and I'm very sensitive to bullying, but my husband used to say to them, if someone bullies, you just say, thank you. And as soon as you say, thank you, they're like, wait, what did you just say? And then they have nothing to say and you become the bigger one, but it's really, it's Easier said than done, but when you really, like when you say practice the self-love and practice self-love from young and for all the teenagers out there, buy books on it, look on YouTube. We're so fortunate that there's so much free literature out there about how to practice self-love, but it really all boils down to that no one's going to love you like you love yourself. And the way you love yourself is going to reflect to others and the way it's going to bounce back to you. So when you are your best friend, you're the best advocate, you're going to start creating boundaries that you're not going to let people come into your life to destroy right. you. You're going to create the loved ones around you that are going to pick you up, that are going to see the good in you. So it all starts with self-love. But at the same time, it is so hard. And this is what I want to ask you next. Like we're in an age of social media. What all I hear about now from teenagers, I live in, a, in my home, my kids only like, my 14-year-old and my 17-year-old have a phone. And my 14-year-old, she's almost 15, she only got a phone two weeks ago. There was no phone and it's with restrictions. She doesn't have Instagram, no TikTok, no Facebook. They're not on that group. The only thing they have is WhatsApp. And we're very strict with what they go on. But I, I understand that I'm very different than the majority out there. And little kids that are like eight, nine, 10 have access to everything. And all I'm hearing through my channel of my hope to recharge channel is that how kids so young, like eight, nine, 10 are dealing with depression, which in the past, it was rare to have somebody so young. It was really a mental illness because they were born with something that chemical imbalance or whatever. It was rare. Now there's more, there are more young children that are dealing and teenagers, it's, it's, it's like 50%. The, the percentages are insane that are dealing with situational depression, situational anxiety, situational pain, suicide attempts because of the bullying, because of the social media, because every, because the girlfriend broke up with them, because they feel lack of love, because it's so easy to say something wrong. What do we, how do we protect ourselves when it's just everywhere out there? It's literally a, I, I want to say it's the common toxicity of our generation. And how do they escape it? What should they do these teens when somebody say bullies them online, when, when their girlfriend breaks up with them and they feel like zero, what should they do? It's hard, especially now with the whole COVID thing going on for, for people in general to be able to escape or get out because most things are closed and most access to group help is, is closed and gone for now or, or just via zoom, but it creates a lot more difficult way to connect with people. But that's why I think it's important to create a strong support system and people that you can trust a good friend, things like that, where if the bullies come out and now all of a sudden your mind is going down that hill, that you have somebody that you can rely on to pick you back up. And that's just the immediate thing, because when we feel devastated, it's hard to pull ourselves out of that mind state. So to have that, but as far as when you personally don't have access to that, I find meditation great. I know that's hard for children, because it's slowing down the mind, really processing what's going on, and, and praying to God and you know, whatever, whoever you um, look up to as your higher power. Because honestly, when people are bullying me, 
I tell them straight up that I'm going to pray for you. And I, I don't say that as like a slap in their face, but more just as a realization, like something's going on for you. And I see it because you're acting this way towards me. So, you know, what? I'm going to pray for you. And I hope that God shows you a better way to communicate with your fellow brothers and sisters, because that's just not how I see he wants us to be towards one another. And I think that also throws them off a bit too. Oh, don't pray for me. But I really do. And it's not just something I say just to say it. Because if anybody needs prayer, it's usually them. What a huge awareness. When you can, and, and I know for, for kids, it's so hard because I was there. Oh, I was there. And as far as mentally goes, when I was younger, you couldn't tell me to do X, Y, Z. And then I'd be like, sure, let me try that out and see if it works. But why I'm saying just stay consistent with being hungry to learn, even if you don't think it's actually going to happen to you. I didn't think happiness was real. I honestly didn't. I thought it was some fairy tale thing that was not in in my life book. And I was actually jealous of a lot of people. And I had a lot of hard feelings towards people that were seemingly happy to me because I wanted so bad to feel it. But for some reason, my emotional side, my emotional buildup of things that I've been just shoving under the rug for years started coming up and just overflowing to the point where I was just drowning in my own negativity. So the more I could start slowly practicing things, that's why I always say make a gratitude list every day. Something that's so simple. And it look if in the moment you feel like you're not doing anything. It's like really, okay, I really enjoyed my coffee this morning. Great. That's awesome. But it's changing your mindset. You're changing your thought process. So when you wake up, instead of thinking, oh, I can't believe Susie said that yesterday to me and, and sit on that all day. Now you're thinking, oh, I love my co- my coffee. I'm so grateful for my coffee. You know what? Technology is crazy, but I am so blessed that we have this technology so that way I can learn great new things. Learned a lot of new things about depression yesterday online and just the all the things that we don't normally think about on a day-to-day basis. And the more you do it, so every day it's not like you're saying the same 10 things that you're grateful for. You're picking 10 new things that you're grateful for. So now your broadness of how many, all the things that you have to be grateful for, you're going to start realizing just how much you actually have over just how much crap is in your life. And it's really a choice to notice. It's a choice to see. It's a choice to zoom in. It's a choice to not be a victim. Just like you said, it's a choice to decide I am not a victim. I am control of my life, of my thoughts, of my feelings, and I'm going to do something about it. And that choice is I'm going to choose to work with gratitude. Now, I want to make it very clear. I'm a huge, by the way, my audience knows that I'm a huge gratitude. I practice gratitude to get my gratitude practice was what saved me from depression. And uh, one of the biggest things that saved me and I live with gratitude. I have many gratitude groups every single day. I start my morning with gratitude. I end it with gratitude. And gratitude also works with things that don't work out and with painful moments. So what I want to say is don't think that you're lying to yourself and saying, oh, you really don't feel depressed now. Oh, that didn't hurt. No, acknowledge the pain. Give it space. Say, wow, that hurt. That breakup hurt. The fact that my father didn't acknowledge me today, that hurt. The fact that person bullied me on the bus, that hurt. That's awful. I'm in pain, I'm, but at the same time, I'm going to choose to see what did work today. I have my feet working. I have my mind working. I have options. I was able to swallow. I was able to breathe. I'm able to have emotions. There are people that don't have emotions. It's those things that, and the more, and I always say it's like an addiction. The more you start seeing gratitude, the more you're going to be addicted to it. And it's going to come naturally for you eventually. And you're going to start seeing it more and more. And it just becomes a part of your Well, And also, lip. I think you, you touched on emotion. And I think it's an amazing gift to have emotion. I think emotion actually shows us where we need to focus our healing, especially when we cry about certain things. But Also, I think it's important when those emotions come up, when you feel triggered by something, many times, at least when I was younger, and still to this day, I have to catch myself, is that we try to blow it up much bigger than it is. Our mind is very good with writing a perfect story to be the 
biggest victim. When we blow it up and we get make it bigger, again, like you said, it, may, it allows us to be in that comfort of being a victim to whatever it is that's causing us to feel pain. And that is where I like to stop myself when I notice that, okay, it starts with a couple tears, then I start getting a little vocal with it, then I start just wailing. Where did that start? And really dissect your emotional state and instead of just allowing it to make you numb to whatever it is, say, okay, what, what caused this? How can I fix this? Because if I were to have slowed myself down, now I'll catch myself and I'll be like, why did that trigger me the way that it did? Because it's so often where it's like hours pass by that we spent bawling our eyes out and then we have those aha moments like, oh, I really should have thought of it that way. But we enjoy that, that numbingness of being the victim and experience expanding and exploding the emotional side when it really one either wasn't that big of a deal to begin with in the bigger picture and we could have saved so much sadness so much aggravation frustration in and working towards something that is going to better benefit who we are and to overcome that piece that caused us pain and if we can't figure it out alone don't be afraid to ask for help I want to touch upon the stigma because we're giving tools that we know as adults Correct. now are like gold, literally gold. And it makes us who we are now. And I hope this inspires the teenagers that are going to listen to say, you know what? I want to be like them. I want to be the one that shares my story and th that says, yes, it was hard and I overcame it. I want to be on the other side of the mic showing that you can overcome this. I want to be that, that warrior. But in order to get there, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of persistence, as you say. Don't a lot of stuff. and a lot of support. That's why I call I say a mental health together is better because doing it alone is almost impossible. Yes, self-love is the the only thing that will really save you. But in order to start that engine. And it takes time and it needs a lot of oil and it needs a lot of pampering and cleaning and over, you need support. So I want to touch upon that, the stigma about talking, first of all, sharing your feelings, saying, oh, I'm the best, I'm the awesomest, or the pain of not being the best in everything, or the pain of rejection. So we have the stigma of, I'm not allowed to say that I'm struggling, or if I go for help, that means I'm a loser, I'm crazy. The stories we tell ourselves, the story society is telling us, stops us from healing. And not only does it stop, but it, I say it's like cancer, it just spreads and spreads, and then you're in stage four cancer. To heal it, it's really hard. You have to go to radiation, surgery, chemo, and hopefully you'll survive. Same thing happens with mental illness. If you're going to, or, or it's not even mental illness. It could be with emotions. If you're going to suppress it, if you're going to suppress depression, if you're going to pretend it's not there, if you're going to not look at the hurt and abuse or whatever you're going through, it's just going to stay there and spread. It's going to come out in the most horrible way. So what do we tell society, kids that would love to get help, but they're so ashamed of admitting it, or they're so ashamed of reaching out, or even more so have parents that are still are stigmatizing it. They're not letting them. Right. I think that the big thing that runs through, at least when I was a kid and not wanting to go to therapy was the, the thought and the idea that something's wrong with me. And I think that's a hard pill to swallow for a child just trying to fit into life and to what the world and the society is trying to mold us into, which are these perfect beings that we're not. None of us are perfect at all, ever. And it's just not going to happen. For the longest time, I wanted to just be perfect and have everybody like me and have the world like me for that matter. And the truth is, no matter how quote unquote perfect you are, there are going to be so many people that don't think you're perfect and that don't like you. And that for me was, took a long time to realize. And there's always going to be people that view therapy or help as weak or as something's wrong with you. You can't handle your own life. But in reality, there are so many more hundreds of thousands of people, millions that are going to view that as wow. You are incredible. You are an amazing 
person to, and courageous for able being able to stand up and just tell what's going on for you. That's hard enough as it is, but to do it with other people, that's why I say group therapy is just so powerful, but just expressing what's going on for you in general is a courageous act and never ever would it be weak in my eyes because it was it took a long time for me even to open up so i can only imagine now with everything and everything more on social media but i think the biggest thing that anybody says is about you and your journey is yours alone and you are going to when the more open you are with yourself and others you're going to attract the people that need to be in your life with that in at that time because the more you hide things and try to paint a picture that society wants or you think that society wants the further away you're going to be from one your truest self but two the people that god wants you in front of yes and will help you get to the true calling that you are or to your support so if you're putting yourself up on social media as the as something that you're not and inside you're broken, you're going to be attracted to the people that won't be able to get you to the true who you are or to the healing or to your potential, to what gives you joy. Yes. That's a good point, by the way. When we put ourselves out, yeah. Yeah. When we put ourselves out there as something else, we're going to attract that something else to us and not what is, and then we're going to start feeling suffocated because it's not something that's feeding our soul. And we try to brainwash ourselves to, to be these other type of people that we know internally that we're not to make everybody else like you. And when you do that, you're just pushing yourself again, like you said, further away. And when we brainwash ourselves, we're not being honest with ourselves about it. So then when we sit back at the end of the day and we find ourselves upset, sad, lonely, distant, it's because we weren't who we were meant to be all day, all week. Like for years sometimes, that's how I was. I was pretending to be this perfect quote unquote Barbie doll that everybody wanted. And at the end of the day, literally, I would cry every single night because I was chameleonizing myself to be who I thought everybody wanted me to be when in reality, it was far from the truth. And of course, like you said, it was putting me in front of other people that weren't going to be able to help me in what I needed help with because I wasn't asking for it. I wasn't being open enough with what was going on for me to attract the people that I needed to help support and guide me to those answers. And I think the biggest misconception about asking for help is that people will think you're crazy and will disconnect from you. And maybe that happens sometimes, but those people should disconnect. You should count your blessings that they're disconnecting and they're disowning you or whatever, because they're not going to be good for you. They're not going to be good for your recovery. So they should not be in your arena. They should not be there. But, and you'll be surprised as teenagers. I know as an adult, it's easy to say this. Some adults, it's not easy. Some adults, I speak to a lot of adults are still in shame and stigma and don't tell people and I'm afraid and this and that. But as teens, you will be surprised that if you're going to say to somebody, this is what I'm going to, through, they're going to say, oh my God, I'm going through the same, or I know what you feel, or my brother, my sister, I know. You'll be surprised how comforting it feels. And one of the biggest things I hear over and over from teenagers, from adults, from everyone, the moment I shared, I felt the biggest relief because it wasn't as scary and I got comfort that I'm not alone. Exactly. Exactly. You put the pin right on the head right there because we connect so much. We, we don't realize how related we all are, how much in common we all have. We all have experienced the same feelings just on different levels. Yes. Yes. And when we share, we can give. First of all, part of healing is giving. You can't always give when you're depleted. Yes. Just know, be very careful when you're giving. If you're depleted, you cannot give. But Part of healing is supporting others. It's just the way it is. And if you have a few friends, and it could be new friends, not from your school, it could be not from your neighborhood, it could be friends from a, a, a therapy group, it could be a friends from a local gym or something like that, that you suddenly found that there's something that you can relate to them or they could relate to you because of your struggles. There's a, there's a certain bond that goes on. 
And then it becomes like these lifelong friends forever that will support you through life and they will cheer you on and the other people need to go. And it could be that they can come back in the future when you're stronger and you're better and your true self and you can show up as your own, but be okay with it. Be okay with, with showing up the way you are, because it's going to be your biggest tool to success is knowing that you're, you should not be ashamed. You should not be ashamed. Share because together is really bad. And by opening up to those people that say weren't in your corner in regards to that, that you needed to push away, you could potentially be an inspiration to them on when you're open, when you're seeking help, when you're overcoming your demons. Now they're looking at you. I want what they have. What are they doing? And whether they, whether they actually vocally say that to you or express that to you or not, it doesn't matter because you're helping them without even realizing it by helping yourself. It's so true. So true. I hope teenagers are really listening to this. And what we want to say to you, just remember, just hear this. If you think that no one gets what you're going through, it's your mind telling yourself stories. You would be surprised how many more people are feeling the way you are than are truly happy. Social media is a lie. Even if you think you don't know, emotions come to everybody. Hard times come to everybody and it's part of life. It's part of evolving and pain is okay. Pain is not fun, but pain is okay. And be and sit with that pain. Talk to that pain, give it names, and don't be afraid to reach out for help. But Laura, what do we do when parents are trying to shush their children that are talking about their pain because the parents are uncomfortable with their kids being so vulnerable? What do we do then? How do we guide these kids? That's that's the tough part. I was blessed and fortunate enough where my mom was very loving and willing to hear me out and whatever I was going through that she was that rock for me. But I know that's not the case for a lot of other people. Some kids don't even have either parent there to support them and give them that, that love and that nurturing that they need and our soul, every soul needs. So for, for that, it's again, just going through the process of finding who that mentor is, who that person is that God puts in your life that is going to help guide you to where you need to be. Even if that's behind your parents' back, just because you need to get that out. You need to find your ground in what's going on because that's the age, especially early teens, where you're the most influenced and you really need to figure out, identify who you are so that way you can live your best life and not be locked away in, in the idea or the thought of how society needs you to be or you need to be who everybody else wants you to be because we have a lot of those people. And what yes. we need is more individuals standing up for right. who they are and loving who they are. So if that takes sorting out who somebody else that you need to find, then that's what needs to happen. And to not be afraid to ask for help outside of your parents. Yeah. And not feel guilty about it. I know fear is a big thing. Parents are a big part of us. And it's really something that we're not minimizing how hard it is because it's really hard. But finding that school therapist or guidance counselor, or even a teacher, a kind teacher, there's always, there's not always a lot of kind teachers, but you can find a kind teacher that you can go over and speak to them and you'll be surprised. It could be. And sometimes just by sharing, you're, you're already unloading and you're already feel like, oh my God, I have to breathe. Now, and now I want to just say something about teenagers. I was giving a talk somewhere right after a suicide in a school and they brought me in to share my story. And it was shocking. No one understood how this kid died from suicide. And they were really shocked. Like what? He was there in the morning. He left in the afternoon and that's it. He's gone. And so they wanted to bring the awareness of breaking the stigma, talking about your feelings. And I was sharing my story and the place was silent. I think there were like 50 or 60 kids there. There was one girl that got up in the middle towards the end. I said, is there any questions? And she pulled her arm. Do you see these cuttings? This is me because... I know what it feels like to to feel what that kid was feeling. I I cut myself. 
I was embarrassed about it, but no more. And she got a standing ovation. And then one by one was saying, yes, I also struggle with depression. I struggle with eating disorder. I struggle with anxiety. It was unbelievable. And then another kid said, yes, here are my, my cut. Yes. And it was amazing, but it was, took that one girl of courage, that one girl to stand up. And then she gave permission to so many others. And then they formed a group and now there's a support group and they just, they feel that they're not alone. Get, Isn't that yeah. amazing? Just amazing. But that's the courage of being the first one to yes. open up. And you could be the ground of saving so many other lives because I guarantee you're not alone. Guarantee. Like I could give that as like hands down. And if you are, I'll be your personal therapist. I'll, I'll be there to support you, but I, I can guarantee you you're not. So find that if it's a friend, but make sure that it's the right person. Be smart about it. Like we have intuitions. We have these, the sixth sense. Know who the right person is. Go to the right person and find that mentor if it's not your parents. Your parents should be the first people that you that should help you. But if you feel like they are not, and they are not able to, they're not evil. They just don't have the tools. They just don't have the tools. And that's okay. And that's okay. But it doesn't give them permission to take away from Because our parents feeling. can only do what they know to do. And that's the, the biggest struggle, I think, in times when you feel like your parent should know what it is that you need and should follow through with the process of what they think you need. And of course, if they didn't have that help and support growing up, then how do they even know how to give that to you? And that's what I learned through my dad as well, because he didn't have the kind of support and love that I desired. And so he didn't even know how to give that love to me and he still doesn't. And that's okay. I love him anyway, even if it's from afar, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't correct. hurt. Absolutely. It just means that we learn that we're above it and we can self-soothe ourselves and do better, find meaning in it, find meaning in the hurt, healing in the hurt, pay it forward, be the better person that we can be. Yes, girl, you're speaking my language. And, and it's all about the mindset, right? It's all about the mindset, like acknowledging that it all starts and begins in our mind. And we have to take control of our mind, train our mind with gratitude, with the right people, to love ourselves, to take care of ourselves. It's not selfish. It's self-love that can give to others. It's one, it's like, all together, and it's really all starts and ends with the mind that whatever we feed our mind, it's going to come out. And it sounds really easy, easily said than done, easier said than done, but that's why it's the consistency too, and understanding that it's not just, all right, tell yourself you love yourself and that's good enough. No, this is not an, an overnight process, and just putting that trust and that faith that things are going to get better, that things are even if you don't feel like they are in that moment, and having that kind of subconscious trust and just keep moving forward no matter what because there is a way out of whatever pain or struggle you're feeling. It's only a matter of time and how much effort you're putting into seeking that extra help. And we're here to tell the, the, the after story to say we're a proof, right? I always say it's like the biggest loser, the show, when they come there, what is it? 400 pounds or whatever. They're working so hard. The first few weeks are brutal. Do they really lose weight the first few weeks? No, they are in pain. They are struggling. They cannot breathe. They pass out. They throw up. It's gut-wrenching. And it's the same thing with an emotional workout. I said it's the emotional workout gym. In the beginning, is gut-wrenching. But suddenly you start seeing change. And you can sit and you, you continue and continue. And you know what they found with the, bigger loser, the biggest losers? Even if they lost two, 300 pounds, if they didn't continue it after the show, they gained it all back. And they couldn't. You have to continue. Even when you find, how Laura, how much do we work on, our, on ourselves every, every single day. day? Even when we're so joyful. Even when we're like, wow, we recovered. Every day we do our gratitude. Every day we do mindfulness. Every day we do meditation. Every day we do physical workout. We still go to therapy. We still do all these things even when we feel like, oh, we're healthy. We don't need medication. We're healthy. We're good. We're at a part. Wow, we're on top of the world. But we still know that if we don't do the workout and we don't show, as you say, Laura said it so well, it's consistency 
to the day it's you die. Reprogramming our mind and the, the media with everything going on in the world, it's for them to come into your mind and try to reprogram. That's really not what we need in our heads. It's not what's going to help us move forward. So we have to take the initiative to reprogram our minds with all of that love, all of the learning, the gratitude, just getting better every day, no matter what level you are, happiness-wise, whatever, because it's going to help us move forward. And don't stop. Don't stop. Never stop. In the beginning, it's hard. And when it's good, it's also hard to continue. When things are good, it's really hard to do the exercise. You'll be surprised because of this, I'm saying this, but the people that are listening, you'll be surprised how many people I speak to that I work with gratitude with them. And I'll say, first, let's start with gratitude. Forget everything else. Let's just do gratitude a few times a day, even one thing that you find. And then the, after a few months, wow, I'm feeling a shift. And then, okay, I'm I don't have to do gratitude. I'm feeling better. I'm like, get back on the bike. Get back on the bike. Do the gratitude when you're feeling great. Yep. That's when it works. Yep. Not only because sometimes it's easier to do the exercise when you're like so motivated to change the state you're in. You're like, okay, I'm going to fake it till I make it. And then you made it and you're like, okay, I don't have to do it anymore. No, keep riding that bike. Keep doing the exercise. Motivation because motivation is going to stop. Motivation exactly. is not a consistent thing at all. It's about to discipline yourself to get to where you want to be because the motivation, that wave is going to crash. Yeah. Yeah. And also life happens and hiccups happen and we think that we healed ourselves and then suddenly something happened and we're like, wait, why is that coming up now? Why am I feeling this way? I thought we dealt with that already. And, and we suddenly realize, oh my God, I'm still hurting. And then we have to go to our toolkit and take everything out and work. But the more we can, as Laura says, remember consistency, mental health gym, never, ever stop. <laughs> never, ever stop. Laura, um, I could talk to you for, I, I, I feel like you're so aligned. You're so refreshing. You're just like, you're an inspiration to everybody, especially to teens, because you, you've been there. You know what it's like and the way you were. You wish you had more to help you not go through that hell, but it made you who you are now, which you're so grateful for and you're giving back to the world in such a beautiful way. I want to give your brother a few minutes and explain to me what you, first of all, how do, do you have this devotion to your brother? Like your whole life is your brother. People, you have to, we're going to drop her Instagram link. You have to see if you want to know what true love is and commitment. Look at Laura. She is like, like no one else. I, I really, I hardly saw this in the world. What is this that drives you to give to your brother on a, such a deep level of unconditional love? Well, Seeing as my brother, as I said earlier, for people listening, has autism. So autism, it's just a disability. And the thing with autistic kids or adults is that they have an innocence to them, similar to a child. And that's what's beautiful about them because it's consistent all the way up into their adult years and until the, the last breath that they take, their innocence lives forever. And what happens with us as babies is we have the same exact innocence. But as we get to be older babies, our innocence gets taken away from society or just from what the world paints a picture of how we should be. And we don't know how to deal with that because it's not who we feel we are. So what I love about kids with disabilities is that their innocence stays forever. And when you're close to somebody like that, you understand life on such a deeper level and have that understanding that wow, life isn't as serious as we make it out to be or as doomed as we make it out to be. So over the years, especially these last five years or so, I've gotten extremely close to my brother because the more self-love I have for myself, the more I'm able to give to others. And it's brought our relationship so much closer because now it's a bigger understanding of what he's going through and how I can best serve him because again it's just it's like a big baby and and that's a beautiful thing because the innocence is what we need more of and they teach us more than anybody I think honestly because now 
some of them don't talk. Some kids with disabilities can't walk or do anything. So imagine being a parent that has never heard their child say, I love you. And just still every day waking up and helping them and showing up for them and being that love and support. That's hard to do. Imagine being in a marriage where, let's say if I had a husband that never said, I love you to me, that never showed me that he cared for me. I'm sure anybody listening right now would think that'd be a crazy situation to stick to. But whereas he doesn't have that ability to do the things that, all the things that we're able to do, and yet learning how to still give and give all that love, it's the best gift that anybody could ask for. That's why whenever somebody says, oh, I have a son or I have a brother or cousin with autism or any disability. I'm like, that is a blessing to you. You are so blessed because many people don't have that accessibility or just they're scared even because it's just so uncommon for them. And that's why I say get involved in Special Olympics, get involved in a program, really see it from their perspective, because that's the best lesson in life that you'll ever learn. So you feel like he's giving you more than you're giving him. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's why you're so special. (laughs) That's why you're Laura. Do you understand that perspective of he's giving me more is what makes you so special of showing up and giving unconditionally. It's unbelievable. And how much you, you physically do for him emotionally full with a full heart, like really. And it takes an emotional toll. It does take an emotional toll. It's scary. It can be even lonely sometimes because you want to have a deeper conversation and you can't, and you want them to hold space for you in a way that you hold for them, but they can't, but they could show up the way they do in that pure, like you say, so pure, so sincere, so real without all of this noise of the world of perfection. They're just so happy all the time. They're just naturally happy because they don't have the voices to tell them why not to be happy. And even if he gets upset with me for something so small, I'll just say, I'm so sorry, Richard Jr. Do you forgive me? And then he takes a breath, pause. (laughs) Sister Laura, I accept your apology. I love that. I love that. But not only that, the fact that he's so vulnerable so fast, he's not holding a grudge. He's telling you, he's sharing. What a lesson. Share, be open. And when we're we're opening to receive back that empathy and the compassion and the apology, it's so beautiful. What a lesson. What a lesson. Wow, Laura, thank you. Thank you for being such a light and an inspirational voice in the world. Thank you for being open about your story. You have so much in your story, like just depression, cutting, attempted suicide, eating disorder. Like you have everything in one story. Usually a person has one of them. You have like everything in one story, but that, and what, you're only 30. You're so young. You have such a long life ahead of you of, of abundance and great. So you, you've got everything in together and you got rid of it. And now you just have a life of just giving and sunshine and working hard to continue and inspiring the world. I so appreciate your story. And where can, two things, first of all, Where can people find you and follow you and reach you and see what you do? Because you do a lot of things and I'm sure it's all somewhere on a website. It's not on like one direct website. However, I do have, for those who use Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Laura.Messner. And then for Instagram, it's at Wicked L Messner. So L is in Laura. And then my last name, Messner. And those are the two ones that I've majority of the time use. And then people reach out to me through that. Laura's an athlete. She works out a lot. She does all of these workout programs. She's fun. She's inspirational. There's always an inspirational thought behind everything. So it's just refreshing to watch her. So if you're a teenager, watch her. If you're an adult, watch her. Like just watch her. Laura, my last question that I ask everyone, what does hope mean to you? Hope is just... We're knowing that there is more to life than what's right in front of you. Knowing that there is more to life than what is in front of you. Yes. So don't be blinded by what you see right now because there's so much more. And what I hear is now can be hard, but just wait, hold on to it because there's so much more to the movie, to the story, to life. 
Beautiful. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for giving me your time. I literally feel like my lump in my heart is gone. Thank you for being my inspiration, my sunshine for today. And I love watching you. And you teach me so much about showing up with authenticity, with care, with love, and fighting through so much that comes your way. Literally a hero. All that you do, this podcast and the way that you show up for people and their lives, really, you are an inspiration to me. So I just want to say thank you for all that you do, for helping everyone that you can. You don't have to be doing these podcasts. You don't have to be doing anything that you've done to help other people. But here you are and you're showing up just like we were talking about earlier. You have the courage enough to stand up, to reach out to people, to help find ways to speak to others, to help them through their tough times. And that just speaks volumes about you and your character. So thank you. Thank you, Laura. My, my dear listeners, if you know any teenager that is struggling and needs to hear these words of wisdom from Laura, you might save a life. You might create lives by sharing this. So share it with one person that you think can use this encouragement to create a better life. Bye till next time. Thank you for listening. We highly appreciate all of our listeners. And Mental Health Together is better. You being here means a tremendous amount to us. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like some extra boost of information and inspiration that is not on the podcast, you can go to our website, hopetorecharge.com. There's some premium content that for the cost of a cup of coffee, you can download some amazing information that will help you, a tool that will guide you through life. So don't skip a beat. Don't hesitate. Go to hopetorecharge.com. Thank you for joining us. And remember, if you enjoyed this and you want to say thank you, the best way of gratitude will be by you leaving a review or a comment or sharing this with a loved one. There is no greater form of gratitude for us. Thank you. Thank you.